Welcome, one and all, to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the big round white room is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Rebels unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor Episode 7 announcement. Pete, we... I feel like it was just moments ago that we were talking about the She-Hulk season wrap taking a look back at that nine episode journey that took us to places in the mcu we never thought we'd go including outside of the mcu yeah uh and here we are matt having dropped our wrap of the entire season series don't quite know uh yesterday across uh our regular feeds and of course uh tomorrow on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be talking star trek lower decks uh the penultimate episode of season three i uh, can't wait to dig into that episode and uh you know, as always that show remains a delight absolute slingshot through this season matt how are we nine tenths of the way home but bringing it back to star wars we have some nielsen ratings on andor what pete we haven't talked Nielsen ratings, meaningful Nielsen ratings since maybe about 2016 and will they or won't they renew Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be canceled after season three or four. Uh, Pete, tell me more about this novel idea, which is to objectively count the people who watch a show in order to determine its success. What? Yes. After some of the real stretch jobs in terms of streaming offerings i mean matt did you hear 70 gajillion people watched bird box opening weekend that would have sold every theater in america europe and asia out simultaneously uh you know i did hear that pete and i look forward to uh talking to a person who's seen bird box one day <laughs> i did watch it <laughs> Um, but Pete, let's dig into these Nielsen ratings, please. So, uh, the ratings for the first three episodes of Andor are out. And, uh, while Dahmer is at the top of this list, it's been a monster. They also had all their episodes drop at once. Same with the fifth season of Cobra Kai. Um, it is sixth on this list, Matt, 324 million minutes of views for those first three episodes, placing it ahead of The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, and a little show by the name of Stranger Things. So on the one hand, I'm still getting my head wrapped around how Nielsen counts this relative to you know in the olden days you would say friends and er were on last night how many people watched it that's a number and i do understand that of course if you have a situation where you know all 10 episodes of Dahmer are available the same week that there's three episodes of andor or or only one new episode of handmaid's tale that that's going to you know what Dahmer could be uh Two thirds less popular than Andor, but has yeah, it three is times as many, you know, that kind of thing. But bridges. minutes are minutes. This, this is these are good numbers. Yeah, to get a little bit more insight than you know, hey, everyone living bought a 
theoretical ticket to the latest Adam Sandler streaming movie on Netflix, making it the highest grossing film in the history of the art form. Um, yeah, so it, it's apples and oranges, but at least they're counting them as as fruits. And um, it'll be interesting to to dip into these Nielsen streaming numbers from time to time. Because at the end of the day, Pete, it's easy enough to go, for example, the number for Dahmer, okay, that's divided by 10. The number for Andor is three episodes divided by three and so forth and get some kind of sense of a, of a, of a count here. These is the ad-supported models for uh, Netflix and Disney are making their way through the pipeline. Hulu already has a lower tier that has the ads on them. So they're coming. And, you know, of course, it's another stream of revenue pay to get out of the ads. Uh, how do you exactly calculate that it remains to be seen, but a little bit more perspective. And I think that helps. Hey, Matt, and or is a hit. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial Network. Let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about this episode. Cyril Karn sits in his room, stewing and staring out the window again. As his mother calls for him and at the breakfast table asks him if that is what he's wearing to his job interview at the Bureau of Standards. She reminds him he's not just representing himself after she called in old Uncle Harlow's favor. She doesn't like his high collar because it says he's desperate for approval. Just then, he hears on the hollow net about the attack on Aldani. Mom calls those rebels rabble who attacked an imperial garrison, and they will regret it. This scene, amongst the other scenes, this scene in particular had me thinking uh of of a star wars moment of revelation which was from um i think it was the imagineer documentary on disney plus one of those early disney plus offerings um but when they were explaining how to create the particulars of galaxy's edge you know you really can't be getting anything that's from after 1985 you perpetually need to be making stuff that looks like it was made in the 70s and early 80s and that is this scene in terms of its visual aesthetic and its production design the the the, his drab bedroom i mean it looks like it's you know it's a couple star systems over from the nostromo and so forth (laughs) um the whole the, the whole suit the the uh Descriptive audio refers to the collar as a Nehru collar. So, you know, right out of kind of 70s um, international uh, flavor to dress and so forth and all that. Um, so, I mean, again, just so much in this. They've, they've nailed, um, they've nailed what, what the look of Star Wars should be. Um, we leave this scene after there's, you know, question, where are the conspirators? We cut to Dedra and others in the ISB. Um, Pete, they are kind of preparing to, you know, strike back. I feel like there's a, there's a title there that could work. Um, the only question is how uh, tight to close the fist, uh, which Pete is doubtless has some echo to, uh, the, the princess Leia line, you know, the, the tighter you draw your fist, the more star systems that fall through your fingers, uh, words to that, uh, degree, 
Um, and part of the inspiring speech here, it's incidents like this. This is why we plan. This is why we work so hard in peace. This is why we, we recruit so heavily. Uh, and then they start to roll out some of these empire-wide measures effective today. Yes, this spoken by Admiral Yularen, uh, a character introduced in the original Star Wars who does not have a line. He's at the, you know, Moff meeting with uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and Vader, where Vader chokes out uh, one of the guys who gets fresh with him. Um, he was then in the Clone Wars, uh, where he was seen all the time with Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka. He was a, uh, you know, admiral uh, for the New Republic, and he came over to the Empire. He's serving them. So this character, you know, Clone Wars, Rebels, Andor now, Star Wars A New Hope. Um with the mustache. So nice reach for it there. They don't say his name in the episode. It's in the subtitles. It's also in the credits. Pete, some of these punitive measures that uh, Yularen and others are covering here, there's going to be a tribute tax equal to five times that which was stolen. Uh, that That's going to be a tax uh, levied at any, uh, any folks who are going to harbor partisans. Uh, also let's keep an eye on some of those, uh, in parentheses, questionable local customs and traditions. Uh, if those events and so forth are actually covers for rev, uh, rebel activity, uh, and if if that is the case, then the system will be perpetually subject to imperial wrath. Uh, and Pete, make sure that you don't trip over the name drop here, because the admiral was speaking to Emperor Palpatine just this morning. Uh huh. And uh, the Emperor has given the ISB full lead on this. So uh, don't forget that the Army and Navy are now at the ISB's, uh, you know, uh, pleasure uh, to pull info and so forth, which, of course, is going to be an important plot point towards the, well, I guess both the middle and the end of the episode. Yes. So whatever resources they need to get at. Uh, the Emperor, Matt, ever the politician, is also convening an emergency session of the Senate to propose a package of bills and amendments uh, so that will uh, loosen the ISB's ability to watch, to search, to seize. And then we're going to have the P.O.R.D., the Public Order Resentencing Directive. I feel like that could become an issue at the end of this episode that uh, will make any act even indirectly affecting the Empire, like um, a, a space dog going to the bathroom, a class one offense, and reevaluate all prison sentences and all fines and levies must be paid in fall here's what i love about this list it has two plot points buried in it the whole you know isb can search army and navy stuff uh as well as the uh you know punishing class one offenses those are clearly obviously directly related to uh you know important character arcs for the episode and beyond but they also hide it in all this jargon like I'm sitting going, oh, it's five times tax. Oh, wait, it's only for certain systems. And then there's traditions and customs. And, like, they hide it with other things in there. So I really don't think, Pete, that anybody watched this scene and said, aha, 
I can identify that this and this will come into play later in the episode. Uh, it is, I mean, this is a masterfully written episode with no space battles, no space wizards, no space swords, no space lightning. Um, very, very talky, political, drama-filled episode. And, and here they are still pulling out all the tricks. Later, Miro tells her assistant, Hirt, she thinks the Empire is playing straight into the Rebels' hands. She says they're treating Aldani like a robbery when she thinks it was really an announcement. They said the name of the episode. Name of the episode. We cut to Luthen, who's overhearing uh, bits and pieces of news on his space ham radio, including Gasp. Uh, repercussions on Aldani, uh, including Pete, my heart had to go out, uh, that, what, 150 or so uh, Aldani locals were... What's that? 134. There you go. So th- th- those those charismatic folks who did the 10-day journey to see the eye, you know, that they are now being punished. Of course, you know, Luthen, um okay with that trade-off. Um, but wait, look out there. There's a limousine, that iconic blue limousine. It's Mon Mothma's space car here unannounced. Uh, and outside the shop, she says, you know, particularly within earshot of her driver, ah, ha, ha, she should have called. Uh, Got to do an update here about this thing I bought for my husband. He likes it, but doesn't love it. Oh, uh, why don't we go inside? You stay here, Mr. Driver Man, who keeps getting, you know, Driver Man Clovis keeps getting his name mentioned. He has a name, Matt. Use his name, okay? I'm sorry. You're a parent over here. I'm sure you're reclined with your hair in a man bun and a, you know, a gold robe right now. Uh, Excuse me, it's a gold kimono. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, But yes, so I will just point out, though it does not have payoff in this episode, they keep Clovis's name here in the mix. It's either because it's played by the son of Tony Gilroy or they're going to make some business with the character. And I think it's the second in that list. Well, later on, Mon Mothma mentions him when she talks to her old friend at the party. But, you know, totally tense in her presentation in this episode, needing the cover to go and talk to Luthen. Uh, yeah, I'm bringing back the gift. No, 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 no. Was this you? So like I speculated last week, she didn't know this was coming. Yeah, that kind of segmentation of such an operation here where, you know. It's a uh, sell. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. And I think that that's one of the interesting things that this show needs to deal with because I think the show has some particular sense of the goodies and the baddies. Um, and sometimes Pete, sometimes you may have heard sometimes the baddies think that if they operate in a, you know, terror cell as well, that that makes them goodies and so forth. So I think uh, layers and layers on this show, but as you say, she does not believe that he's done this. Uh, he does say, you know, we need money to run things. We need money to advance the efforts here. Um, and uh, he refers her to, you know, this isn't just the building of a network. Um, and they've had discussions where she should have known where this was going. Now, Pete, if you're sitting there, not not you literally, Pete, but if, if, if the audience is sitting there going, boy, they're talking a lot. Pete, maybe the show could give us a visual metaphor to really contextualize this discussion here. 
Yes, the Utapauan uh, cudgel here, the monk cudgel, of course, from the monks of Utapau in episode three. Uh, has anybody ever made a weapon that wasn't used? You know, like this weapon that's being made right now that ultimately Andor and Jin Erso and all these other rebels will give their lives so that we can score our first victory after Aldani. Pete, don't leave off that Rogue One list. The beloved uh, K2SO. Pete, everybody loves the KX unit uh, droids. They're going to be a big hit. And I'm sure the next time we see one, we're all going to say, yay, it's the the funny guy from Firefly is back. It's it's, it's going to be a, a heartwarming moment. But um, but yeah, Mon Mothma, not uh, of a warm heart here. Um, she still is shocked after the the elegant cudgel metaphor. Are we really doing this? People will suffer. And this is when Luthen says, yes, they will, and that will motivate them to rise up. So, you know, a bittersweet tie back to those 130-some-odd uh, Aldani who now are, let's say, not better off having been at, at the, uh, you know, unintentionally at the center of this robbery here. Uh, a price to pay, I suspect Luthen would offer, uh, as he says they need every cre uh, credit they can get their hands on. And uh, that's exactly what Mon Mothma's working on. She's trying to access her family funds. She's worried that this action is going to scare her contact off, that she won't be able to do that. But Luthen says that now is the time. They have to do this. They have to move forward. The network grows or it dies. The sense of urgency here. And then, ha, 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 I'm not going to buy either piece. Well, I'll have some new stuff for you next time. And your ISB plant driver can watch as Clea tells Luthen. Uh, she hopes that Mon Mothma is worth it as they both watch her leave. And he says, they'll have to see because they cannot hide forever, Luke. At the delightful Bureau of Standards, uh, the, the, the Bureauman says there are no small jobs here. Everything's important and so forth. Everybody talk to any of these lifelong workers here. Again, delicious writing. Um, you know, uh, talk to any of them. They're, they're so happy being here. By the way, uh, that uncle of yours, what a good guy. You know, there are some sectors that maybe aren't as cool as the other ones, you know, like redundancy or verification or redundancy. <laughs> um, um, uh, but then Pete, we, oh, there's something here about Morlana one, uh, and Karn gives a monologue about the importance of laws, adhering to things. Uh, and I really got the sense from, from uh, I will presume and call him Mr. Bureauman, um, that he's kind of like, hmm, nice uh, monologue. I actually didn't hear all that stuff. We're, we're giving you the, uh, the opening here in Fuel Purity. So enjoy your space cubicle. And you get this shot to rewrite your fortune in a space cubicle. Um, Pete, I wonder if this is setting up a great Star Wars spinoff called Space Office Space. I think his reaction, the interviewers, was driven more by Uncle Harlow than by this compelling story that will now uh, change your record up a little bit, you know, because Karn 
says it was corruption and laxity and corporate authority that prevented him from helping the authorities capture this murderer. Um, yeah, good luck with that, big guy. But we go to another part of Coruscant, the mid-levels here, the transit system, where it takes the mom a moment to recognize this is Clea, hair down, hood up, uh, walking past Imperial officers and stormtroopers to ultimately find uh, a mark on a tile directing her. She heads down a ramp. There's a uh, really cool. I, is it redress if it's not a set, Matt? Like these are these are transit places, much like they used in Rogue One for the Scarif facility. That was a underground mall that they turned into uh, an imperial facility. Uh, I mean, certainly the use of. I'll forego the the chest beating of Mr. Anthony Gilroy here for a moment. Um, but I mean, the use of, you know, real sets and real places and sending out real people to look at things and go, this this captures the Star Wars aesthetic, um, particularly in some sort of, you know, post-war 1960s, 1970s, concrete poor build kind of thing uh, in the UK fits the times of that, you know, 70s, 80s. Um, visual here i will mention pete that uh the deepest of deep cuts the oldest of old cuts here in the transit station as uh as clea walks past some stormtroopers dialogue including reference to luh 341 that's a reference to george lucas's first film thx 1138 in which the uh in which the female character luh uh 3417 um was the the female character and la kind of like love and thx kind of sounding like uh another kind of love but we're not going to go there pete because that's the r-rated george lucas movie that features even more r-rated stuff in its special edition so maybe we won't be podcasting that one too soon although maybe in december we have something to think about but pete take us back to star wars i mean definitely influences this star wars um, but Miro catches an attendant asleep at ease, cynically, sarcastically tells him, and his tunic is askew. Um, there's also a data vault like Scarif behind them in the room. So pretty cool. But this is attendant Felzonis who wasn't doing his job and she's able to manipulate him for the multi-sector data blend going back two years that uh, will include a survey pool of Imperial naval bases and repair facilities. She wants the record of all missing avionics, communications, navigation, and targeting equipment. For which system? All systems. And uh, she needs this uh, kept confidential and sent only to her. Can she rely on this formerly unconscious subordinate to do this? Can do, will do. We go to Cinta, uh, who Pete, you promised would return. And uh, I was glad that you were, uh, you were correct there. 
Uh, she has got herself a, a speeder. It was once hidden and so forth. Now she's ready to continue, presumably, her run. Pete, there then is a camera shot that, no joke, took me back to the Halcyon days of yore when there was the Force Awakens preview trailer, and I didn't know who anybody was in it. Uh, there was, uh, you know, sweaty stormtrooper guy. There was Captain Yahoo who would say, Yahoo, when he blew stuff up. And then there was upward looking girl. Uh, cause there were these great shots of Ray looking up at shocking things here. Cinta is the upward looking girl. Now what's she looking at the just wonderful, oppressive, beautiful, dark vision of a low flying star destroyer with TIE fighter escorts, you know, going through the atmosphere here. Just, you know, uh, just the visual of oppression so deliciously presented there. Uh, and the message clear that for the for the entire planet, there's a new sheriff in town. Clea sees a woman in an open air section of Coruscant. She takes her hood off. And the other woman, it's a spiffed up Vel. Hair all done, wearing the finery of the uh, center of the galaxy there. Uh, and she asks where Luthen is, but Clea tells her she shouldn't even be there. Neither of them should. Vel explains the money safe. They know she's done a great job. Good work. It's the trawler. It's the getaway car they're worried about. But Vel says that it's buried, gone for good. Is she sure? Leia asks um, and assures Vel that uh, Luthen read her message. Uh, but Vel really thought he'd be there. And we learn that Clea recruited Tamarin herself. Uh, Nemec and Gorn uh, will be remembered. Uh, and Luthen had doubts, apparently, about skiing, which turned out to be true. But it's one less thing to worry about. And Vel asks... Has Clea, has Luthen heard from Cinta? Well, Vel, she's doing what she was told to do because receiving messages is just as dangerous as sending them. Oh, and we have a loose end we need you to take care of. Cassian Andor, known to you as Clem. First of all, there's so much in that scene. One is, uh, you know, regret to announce the, I suppose, conclusive uh, death of Gorn. Um, not entirely clear in the edit of last week's episode. I know we had debated it on the podcast. Um, I do like, you know, again, kind of in terms of hiding the thrust of a scene so it doesn't feel like it's just a giant arrow. The idea of like, hey, the good people are going to miss him. Tamron, too, personally recruited him. Skeen, eh, we had our worries, so he's gone. So, like, point being, they could have said, so that's a loose thread that took care of itself. Pause, pause. There's one other loose thread. Instead, it's kind of like, we're going from the goodies to, like, Skeen, we were never 100% on. So that kind of self-solved. The problem self-solved itself. Uh, get off in a little Cinta moment there. We all say... Hooray! Don't tell certain people in certain countries what Cinta and Vel mean to each other, because then they're going to block Disney Plus or some garbage. Um, but then this notion of, yeah, Cassie and Andor, known to all of you at home as hero of the rebellion, making the theft of the Death, Death Star plans in future movie Rogue One all possible. He's a loose end. 
here's how rough we roll in this nascent rebel alliance. Uh, he needs to be taken out, and we're going to figure out how to do that. Just a chilling prospect that I had not fully uh, considered before the scene, Pete. And they're going to send her info because apparently she's going to push the space button on him or try. Cinta takes that rough-looking speeder down a mountain before Matt, in a show called Andor, we go quite a bit before we see Cassie and Andor. Luckily, Pete, he's just outside as we cut to Marva sleeping and B2 charging. Quick side note, Pete, it shows, like I know Star Trek has this problem of they show future tech that made sense in the 60s and then, you know, 25 years later, the cutting edge cell phones are smaller than communicators. And, you know, so that's a whole thing. But like, I know we've had droids before who've needed to charge or power down or things of that sort, but like B2 in a charging dock makes so much sense mm -hmm. because we all have these things that need to be charged and set aside. And whether it's, you know, from your vacuum to your phone, to your headphones and all this, it kind of was this moment of like, Oh, right. Star Wars has never really addressed the fact that all these droids need to have docking ports. And are they like USB? Is it USB three? Does some of them come with lightning? Like all of all of that. You go, ooh. I guess Star Wars never considered that until now. But Pete, I'm glad that B2 has a nice little charging port there. And he is excited to see Cassian. Um, Cassian asks, since when Marva locks the door? Uh, and uh, she hugs him, uh, noticing that his beard is trimmed from the last time that she saw him as well. She puts a kettle on and then tells him he is not safe. B pipes in that there are troop troopers now. Uh, they came the next day. Uh, the Empire has kicked Primor out, taken over the hotel, which we saw in a previous episode, uh, and the whole planet now under Ferex, under Imperial authority. Um, and again, Cassian should not be there. Uh, someone turned him in. He does not know. Oh, B tells him it was t -t -t Tim. Tim Carlo did it. He's dead now. Marva recaps. Corpos killed him when he was coming after Cassian. Everybody knows this except him. Bix was coming to warn him, and Tim tried to stop her or catch her. Marva's heard both. Uh, but again, he cannot be there. The Empire is there to stay, and they're not going away. But Matt, Cassian's going away, ain't he? He is, you know, particularly now that we've reviewed stupid stupid tim such a goofus uh but yeah cassian ready ready to leave heck ready to leave tonight uh it'll be different now ma and that's when i was like ah the simple beauty in naming her marva with two a's and the m-a-a and also an a at the end but point being like she's both a mother to him and it was there all along pete that her name starts with ma like it's just well done tony gilroy and company um but you know, again, we can leave. He 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 scored. There's money there. The the kettle of calf presumably starts to hiss, uh, and Marva seems reluctant. Uh, that's when he 
realizes maybe he's pushing a bit too much. No one knows that he's here, so he will let her rest. She can think it through uh, and will leave tomorrow, which, among other things, is just a nice little sticky note to say, we're going to end this scene now and come back to it at a later point. Mon Mothma carries a drink at the party at her place. She finds a man and apologizes for not having dinner. Um, how long is he staying? Well, he's going back to Chandrila, their home world tomorrow. She hasn't been home all year, uh, but he tells her she has not missed much. She missed him, though. Uh, and he always seems to be away whenever she's there. Um, but he's not that hard to find, you know, for a senator. And this character, Matt, ultimately introduced to us as Tay Colma of the Bank of Colma. Um, he calls her Mon, and he's not Jamaican, so... I guess we can call her Mon now and not have to say Mon Mothma, although I'm still calling her Mon Mothma. You want to know why? Out of respect. That's right. It's not my place to call her Mon Mothma. Um, now, if handsome Silver Fox Take Homo <laughs> wants to do that, that's a different matter entirely. Um, but she wants to share some truth with her old friend. Again, the script could have gone directly to the tense discussion here but i think that this is a writing room that has a sense yeah again we've i know we've joked both ways like they want to keep it realistic and it's not realistic to be like now let me do a 45 second monologue to bring you into my secret rebel alliance here here comes lita the daughter you know she's gonna say hello she actually is there to bounce on the party you know oh you've met uh, before our banker friend and lita is like yeah i really don't want to stay in chat but i'll be nice hello it's nice to see you Oh, I remember when you when you were little, and she's like, uh, "Yeah, I was little. I don't remember you." Anyway, mom, uh, that's M O M. She can call her mom. Um, may I be excused? Dad said I needed to ask you. Okay, fine. Yes, you may. You can go up and play with your toys and all, so forth and whatnot. Um, but Pete, that has been enough pause for um, Mon to share, Mon Mothman to share with Tay uh, that she wants to have some quiet talk. Hey, let's go over there. She needs help. She hopes that he can be trusted. He asks if it is personal or political. She says the latter. I mean, I would say at a certain point, you need your rebellion to be personal as well as political. Um, he does say, you know, his politics have moved on since their youth and so forth. Kind of a little bit, you know, far afield of the empire. Maybe kind of anti-empire. Maybe. Maybe it's the punch talking here um but the delicious line here no 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 keep drinking keep nodding uh, and this is where mon mothma is going to share more about herself and don't forget to keep smiling here as if they're having a happy chat of those childhood days he does not understand though and she goes on to explain that what people see what they say about her seems so clear she's a polite sometimes indecisive senator who spends her days fighting and failing to protect separatist dugatas and battle empire overreach that she's an irritation uh as he so harshly put he worries that he's made her angry but she says no 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 you've set me free uh she had been wondering all day how to be sure of confiding in him. 
and then comes out with it that it's all a lie. The Mon Mothma people think they know a projection, a front smile. She's learned from <clears throat> Palpatine. She shows you the stone in her hand. You will miss the knife, a uh, vibro knife, Matt, or a lightsaber at your throat. But wait, where is this going? And they sit here for the kicker. She explains to Tay that the Grand Vizier has infiltrated her separatist coalition meetings, that her driver is an ISB plant who reports on her secret humanitarian programs. And she knows they watch her and she wants that because as long as everyone thinks she's an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what she's really doing, raising money. She needs access and his help uh, to her family accounts that until recently she was able to dip in and out of her family fortune without concern, but that has changed. Uh, what is this money being raised for exactly? Uh, um, yeah, I'm forming a uh, Chandrillan charitable outreach program. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Again, I, there's such trust in the audience here for us to understand that he understands the subtext. Um, and I think that that's not something that necessarily um, every show would have the faith to do. You know, like the, there might be a, a note from the studio saying, no, make it clear that he understands what's going on. Or will the audience be confused about this? Instead, there's just the trust in this being an intelligent audience. Um, he's ultimately told he's better off not knowing. Uh, and then the kind of return of the line here, maybe her politics are too strong for his taste. Uh, with that, here comes Perrin. So smile, smile. Ha ha ha. Yes, we are talking about school days and ah, the reunion is coming. Um, so very, very true. Um, and certainly the sense here of this story thread, uh, to be continued. Alas, not in this episode, but, uh, that's why we have next week. Cassian has climbed over the top of a yard there and taps uh, rhythmically to summon Bix on the other side on a comm who asks what he's doing there. Hey, remember when her father caught him climbing over that wall? It was the last place he should be, just like now. Hey, what happened with Tim? Well, I guess he thought we were back together. You're not kidding, Matt. Not only do they trust the audience, they also know when to make it clear that there's further subtext. We just came out of a meeting between uh, Mon Mothma and Tay Colma, uh, probably lovers at one point, but not stated. And here clarified for us that Bix and Cassian had been together. Interesting parallels there, uh, certainly. Um, ultimately, the kind of the recap here that uh, Andor is blamed for causing uh, the lockdown and that, uh, you know, having lied and disappeared about it initially, he should now get away as fast as he can. Um, 
but he asks uh, in fact she's all set to kind of you know push him out but uh he asks about you know the other guy the buyer she does not have more information on him doesn't even have um, a name indeed um but the question here and i must confess pete a story thread i had lost track of temporarily uh how did luthan know so much about andor no 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 not from bix um so andor says that he wants to be forgotten by luthan and everyone which is grand irony indeed seeing as how they're they're ready to do the big forget with him um bix on her part has forgotten andor before he drops twelve thousand credits uh for past debts uh not just with her with some of the other folks in the neighborhood and so forth i think it's also implied maybe for future forgetting as well you know forget i was here and so forth uh with that he walks and as he walks the 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 cold streets there hood up uh there are some troopers far off and andor hides in a corner even as footsteps approach causing him to flash back when clem told cassian it was not their fight and not to worry that the troops wouldn't be there long they're just going to raise their silly flag and go home and then we see that these are episode three uh i believe phase two clone troopers matt um and uh clem gets out into the street to tell a man who yells long live the republic and another that says free ferrix that uh Hey, hey, let's let's calm down here. I do have to take them to task. So we're doing the flashback and we see first Cassian is younger from behind. But then we see a close up of Diego Luna as he is now. And it it doesn't match. I don't know why they didn't just trust us on here is a younger version of this character that i will call cassian so you know this is him when he was younger i hear you i think they're doing some artistic intercutting here um him reflecting on the moment uh as much as the narrative itself is flashing back um so i'm not disagreeing i think i think though that was their uh, intent um the flashback though at least this portion of it ending with you know uh as rocks are thrown at the troopers and they are told to turn around it's clem who's standing in the middle of the street um and again the trust in the audience that we don't have the scene or scenes in the middle of going no it wasn't me it was them or you know boyos i'll take it i'll take your what you did like whatever it is we don't need that middle part it's just oh no the <laughs> The evil, evil trooper villains and the Imperial officers see him standing there. And we know that there are none too discriminating for finding somebody to be made uh, an example of. Um, and of course, we've heard um, <laughs> we've heard about Clem's fate already. So if that's in your head from prior episodes, you know, this dawning sense of uh, Clem being doomed. At home, B is charging and gets out of his dock announces to Marva that Cassian is back. B was just about to go find him, uh, but says that uh, Cassian notes they haven't done much packing. And uh, B tells Cassian that Marva says they can't go. 
and Marva silences B to explain she's not going, that it's not safe. Um, and Cassian knows that it's not safe for her there. There's an Imperial barracks on Rick's Road now. What is left there to keep her? And uh, Marva says it's the rebellion as she waters her plants here. Yes, it's overdue. It's probably doomed. She's too old. She doesn't care anymore. But for 13 years, every time she walked down Rick's Road, she turned off before she got to the square. She took the long way so she didn't have to think about Clem hanging there. And then in flashback, we get that second piece uh, on a snowy day when it was icy. There's a body scene hanging. Um, she splices in more information here. She she heard yesterday about this attack on Aldani. Have you heard this? Have you have you heard about this? And B played her the news. And then in the flashback here, the younger Cassian uh, produces an improvised uh, truncheon and then runs towards four clones huddled around a fire, presumably what wound him up in jail after the murder, the hanging of his foster father. It's just a, it's a heartbreaking scene here. Flashbacks put in at the perfect point, uh, of course, leading to this larger uh, conclusion from Marva that she will contribute to the rebellion, not as, you know, person monitoring the space radar or giving money or putting bases together, but her own kind of personal rebellion, um, just the, 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 the bittersweet notion that she has been inspired by this faceless, nameless attack on Aldani. And that is what has inspired her to a fate worse than had they just up and left. Um, it's just, you know, again, such an artfully constructed, uh, scene overall, you know, with the flashback or flashbacks, uh, separating it a bit there, uh, breaking up what could have been otherwise just a, you know, a lengthy speech. Um, we have her, uh, mentioning almost on the way out, stop searching for your sister. Um, which I appreciated that reminder because I did not know that that, I mean, obviously like he, he was looking for his sister in the first episode i guess in retrospect i had just assumed that was a story device to get him to go to places and do things and to kickstart the story i think that the inclusion of it here is saying you know that is that is a that is a story tool that might get used this season or next season despite the fact that marva says there were no survivors on canari you didn't cause what happened uh with that andor's going to exit the scene uh, in part, so the scene can end. The irony here that he can't tell her he's involved in Aldani, and really that he doesn't see that he's joined any kind of cause, that he did it for money, that like Nemec's manifesto states, you know, the mercenary as a means to an end, instead of ultimately becoming the full-fledged rebel captain, in the alliance that he's going to be and sacrifice his life for the rebellion. 
Absolutely. He, I, I, I hope he doesn't need some sort of, you know, real classic here with a thousand faces. <laughs> you know, I think of some of those old stories where you needed like to become an orphan. Like, I mean, like both parents or both foster parents leaving this this mortal coil to to push you into adulthood so you can stand there looking at the burning farm and say i will go you uh, i will go with you to alderaan there's nothing for me here like i hope that's not where things are headed but uh i think that might be where things are headed at isb headquarters in their big meeting room uh major part is dressing down uh supervisor young who doesn't seem to have his sectors quite together and then orders a full audit of all hyperspace lanes leading to Ord Mandel, a uh, old uh, reference there from Empire Strikes Back, on his desk by the next day, but also senses that Blevin is eager this morning, Matt. Yes, Blevin asked to speak, and, and Blevin says there's some bad news. He wants to lodge a charge against a fellow supervisor, Wait for it. Dedra Miro. Uh, Blevin cannot be silent any longer, uh, and it is indeed a serious charge. Uh, Dedra says she's ready to hear what Blevin has come up with, since, you know, he is focused on her behavior instead of other things going on, like, uh, you know, this nascent rebel alliance. Um, we have a little bit of a recap of her search for the missing MacGuffin. Um, but, uh, now recently, like in this episode, she has searched, uh, sector data without a request, uh, and she admits to it. She has done just that, but says that that's the wrong question. The question is this, have the rebels used the artificial, artificial sectors, those sector, you know, lines are those that are lines, uh, that they're using to prevent them from being caught. Uh, it, it is noted with astonishment, but it is Partagaz that made those sectors. Uh, but nonetheless, she has found an effort to get military tools and items uh, and has uh, charted a link between the thefts and the rebels. Uh, she wonders if Blevin's urgent claims are there to undercut her as she is ready to present this evidence. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's questioned, you know, how, how dare she be looking into such things with such vigor and just on the turn of a dime or a, an imperial credit coin, Partagaz indeed wonders what this whole room would be like if everyone showed her sense of initiative. And uh, that's when you feel, I mean, he doesn't use the word initiative, but it's in his delivery where you say, oh, wait, this is not a negative here. Uh, the ultimate outcome is that Dedra gets the Ferrix sector to oversee. Uh, and uh, Partagaz thanks everyone such a great colloquium of ideas meeting adjourned dedra let's walk and talk uh, and they do with uh, part of God seeing things well played but also warns that she should watch her back yeah we're definitely not done there with the pulsing music heard previously from the uh morlana uh brothel uh takes us over an ocean with uh birds to Neomos uh, with some sort of Colosseum visible on a beach side. Um, and then there's a woman uh, in bed, presumably having done more than sleep while a shower is running. Uh, she addresses the man. We see that it's Cassian 
in the shower area as Keith. The Keith will be out in a minute. He's washing up. By washing up, he means opening up a box that he's hidden in the refresher area with his blaster as he removes Imperial credits because he's going to take a walk. He's going to go down the beach there. The shops are open. Arky's has the new flavors, Matt. They need things as he hides that box there. They need the, the pizos. Don't forget the pizos and Revnog, the greeny green ones. So, Pete, a little context here. I know, you know, I, I'm sure in some future Star Wars visual dictionary, they will explain that on Nymos, okay, it actually gets very warm in the evening. That's why she decided to sleep all natural. It's not for <laughs> any other non-Disney reasons. Um, but, uh, we cut to the outside, as you mentioned, Pete, there's, there's folks at the beach. Uh, we see that there are some, some, some local toughs on the run from my favorite yes, shore troopers. the return of Matt's favorite stormtroopers, who's actually not his favorite stormtrooper. And it's one of my favorite stormtroopers, the Imperial shore trooper. Um, Pete. I'm, I was just reminded of going prior to Rogue One coming out, going at New York Comic Con to the uh, Star Wars plus Kenner um, uh, confab there and, and seeing some exclusive images and stuff about the movie that had yet to come out. And of course, the final version of Rogue One featured a whole lot less shore troopers than uh, they thought because that was a movie that had some issues. Um, but Within this scene, Pete, we see the shore troopers a coming closer to the camera. Are they after our Andor? Um, certainly the acting and so forth makes it seem quite possible. Uh, he walks slowly, then makes a right turn. Uh, indeed, even as some of those iconic droids fly overhead, Pete, are they probe droids? Are they sneaker droids? What kind of droids are they? Seeker droids we saw last in uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So the whole feeling of the scene here is cool and tense. Uh, and he's made, turned a corner and there's there's troopers kind of in wait. Uh, is he a part of it? He says, part of what? Stand there, you're sweaty. Um, though the runners run past him and he says, I'm not a runner. I'm not a, I, I'm, I'm just here as a, uh, as a tourist and so forth, uh, he's told to calm down, uh, beat this a very deliberate scene, I would argue, um, in, in their world and in ours. Mm -hmm. uh, and as from up, you know, uh, up from the, uh, the, the beach area, a K2 droid comes. I was saying to myself, a K I told, droid. pardon me, yes, a KX droid. I was saying I had read and read again and read again that uh, K2SO was not going to be in this. And now, ah, it's the K2SO origin story, and it's going to be all of that, um, which I think, Pete, is what we are meant to feel. Your Mr. Anthony Gilroy is here leveraging our feelings for that beloved character who will join the show eventually in season two. And we go, oh, this is how K2SO saves the day. Uh, no, no, no. This KX droid lumbers on over uh, and... Uh, it and Andor are told to hang there. Which well, there's is two in this scene. There's the one dragging people up from the shoreline, and then the other that throws somebody. 
and then the one that drags the two bodies drops them and then holds him uh you know the the delicious aspect here uh hang on to him hang him lifts him holds him to the wall there instead of watching him yeah it's just the the injustice that we see is clear the injustice that it references is clear uh i look forward to the uh the carns of the real world being really upset about this scene for reasons that they can't quite explain um <laughs> but i also appreciate too pete we've been a theme we've hit this whole recap is kind of the narrative efficiency when you need to be efficient now there have been other times where if it's too efficient you just go all right this is a mon mothma speech about you know can you help me steal money um but we're back to the efficiency here because the droid has him moment of tension boom cut to elsewhere people being charged for things oh this is some kind of courtroom and so forth uh four months for your dog making a mess <laughs> then next up is keith gergo and you go oh wait Keith. We're, we're we're missing quote unquote we're missing a scene which by the way we don't actually need because spoiler alert he didn't die they're saving that for the movie um and all of a sudden this standalone episode of andor uh, an andor centric andor on the run episode which was my expectation before watching all of a sudden things are coming crashing down all around yes charged with civil disruption anti-imperial speech fleeing the scene of anti-imperial activity and attempted damage to imperial property because yeah he really tried to uh harm that kx droid um he better cool it though it's going to be enough if he doesn't get charged with resisting judgment here but he's just a tourist yeah well this used to be a six month sentence and now it's six years because of the change of guidelines at the beginning of the episode at isb headquarters uh take it up with the emperor love uh with that pete you would have thought that one character in a prison is enough we cut to karn running his numbers at his swell depressing uh new job in the screen farm uh and he a prisoner of sorts too uh, and it's on that note that we end the episode. People are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? Pete, let's talk some theories here. I think that this episode conclusively, maybe not 100%, but this episode dashed any hope that Karn might have an arc from kind of, you know, play cop, toughy to the rebellion he's sitting there cooking at his desk um turning into turning into a worse version of himself right i mean all that remains to be seen is if he will ask his mom to fly him one sector over so that he can take his uh clone trooper rifle and you know try to help uh the imperial uh authorities do their job and maybe uh, shoot a guy uh, with a skateboard. The real world that is showing up in this episode is astonishing. Um, you know, I'm always having these imaginary conversations with the studio and so forth. One must imagine that there was at least one voice in the room that said, like, 
do we want to hew this close to to some of these real world issues and what's that look like? And I think that this, you know, this is the best, for my money, this is the best episode of the series thus far. This episode does not have the nostalgic, warm, fuzzy love of moments from Kenobi, but I think this is a better episode than any standalone episode of Kenobi. Um, ditto for Book of Boba Fett, even though, you know, Book of Boba Fett is helped by like these iconic characters we've grown to love and all of that. This is just a phenomenal episode, and I, I'll do you one further, Pete. This is the episode where the uh, the script credit is to Stephen Schiff, who was the showrunner before, you know, as sometimes happens with Star Wars, um, there were issues, and he 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 left or he was dismissed, and then that's when um, that's when Tony Gilroy took over. I just assumed that this was like the episode where you know they kind of put some story elements in there and you know, the, the writing room banged it out, but Oh, it's mostly a Steven Schiff thing. Wink, wink. And he gets his, his curtain call here instead. You know, I don't, I don't know actually who wrote most of the words for this, but his name is on the script and it's a phenomenal conversation, paranoia exploration. It really is. And I think we continue to balance the idea of star Wars and our star Wars. And then this tense, espionage thriller uh that palpatine is mentioned three times in this episode explicitly by name and then you know alluded as the emperor uh as things are going to get worse as a result of what happened on aldani for everybody not just there everywhere um and that you had admiral yularen again previous character show up played by a new actor um that you know okay you can trace the ties back to the to the clone wars and obi-wan and anakin and ahsoka or you can just say all right this is a guy that's in charge of the imperial security bureau at this point who's doing the emperor's handiwork um interesting matt that luthan can bring in andor um and have Skeen betray them but in the discussion between Luthen and Mon Mothma about bringing in new blood to this network here Mon Mothma's choice is suddenly suspect hopefully there's story benefit to be had of that you know story business and so forth on the one hand, I feel like we've come so far in seven episodes that, as I said in the recap, elements like, you know, his sister and, um, you know, even wondering, like, will Bix return uh, prior to this episode and so forth that, that it, you know, again, it's gone so far in seven episodes. I then now look and go, there's only five to go for the season um, and five to go before they need to close the door on this shorter time frame and, you know, the season two plan of, three episodes taking place a year after this and then three two or three episodes taking place a year after that and so forth um that will be an interesting narrative device to look at you know in a year's time in the interim this is this is just such a compact story that also has flourished over seven episodes yeah i wonder where i wonder where we go with mon mothma where we go with her acceptance of this conspiracy and so forth 
in Luthen's gallery in this episode, Matt. We have a Gungan shield on display, uh, as well as a Jedi Temple helmet that never seen in live action before. Ooh, the the set dressing here for Luthen's shop. I mean, it's 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 the pièce de résistance in terms of you know whoever's in charge of the the production design set dressing and so forth like you can really be having these in-depth discussions and really be mining the timeline and mining you know on the one hand it's easter eggs on the other hand you can say you know the the you know battles at naboo and so forth are only so you know are are, are fairly recent and so forth and would still have some sort of uh, historical you know, recent history, uh, interest and so forth. It's just, you know, it, it, it's so authentic because you have people authentically putting stuff into those spaces. The discussion between Clea and Vel here, um, you know, some interesting things noted. Yeah, you, you got rid of the getaway car, right? And it had been noted that the hyperspace uh, tracker was deactivated before Okay, so that's a potential way they trace them back. Also, that uh, they don't want Luthen in people's heads. Why? Because, I don't know, uh, Imperial probe technology going into your head, like we've seen done with Princess Leia. And then that Vel is uh, tacitly tasked with assassinating Cassie and Andor. That scene has so much to do. And I think clearly the impetus is moving forward in terms of, you know, Vel Andor showdown sort of thing. Um, I do think, you know, again, in this, the way this episode and certainly other episodes have demonstrated, um, you know, what I've kind of referred to as like cutting out the middle scene when it's unnecessary. Um, I don't think we should pretend certainly in this episode, and I would argue for, for the remaining five episodes, I don't think there's any intent on the story's part or interest on the story's part to like do the episode where the ISB is searching for stuff to get the thing. And then they're going to find the thing. Like we can just accept in this one scene, Hey, the, the, the freighter got away the end. Where is it? We're not going to tell it's taken care of the end. The, I suspect the story is not interested in that in one iota. Um, and that this is just, you know, hey, let's have four lines where we say, and the robbery story is over. Um, because, again, like, uh, you know, doing the track down, like, you know, we know where they ended up. They ended up on Coruscant uh, or Ferrix. And emotionally, we're moving on from there. Uh, and I think that's, you know, again, that's as much the purpose of that scene as uh, setting up a really great, conflict for Vel. Is there an uprising coming to Ferrix? Marva doesn't want to leave. She wants to help the rebellion. Bix is still there. We care about her. Uh, will they become rebels? I mean, I joked about it, but now let me be serious about it. Andor is still the guy who, he's still the mercenary. Okay. Yes, it was kind of slightly the mercenary with the heart of gold, like the guy who was ready to steal more than was his uh, his cut 
um, in skiing, you know, gets his face blasted off. Um, but Andor also could have said, hey, Dr. Quadpaw, um, you know, I'm, I'm stealing your ship. Well, he didn't do that. He was honorable for that. But he similarly, he also took his cut and one can assume not a credit less. So he still needs a story thing to make him Cassian Andor of the Rebel Alliance. Marva is there for the taking um, in terms of a story sense. Bix, perhaps, perhaps less so. I would foresee a scene where Marva walks towards the troopers much as Clem was found by the troopers. I know obviously it's, you know, separate time periods here, but she walks towards them. Um, you know, I think of that iconic, maybe shades of that iconic, uh, I believe it was a Vietnam era picture of the, the monk that set himself on fire. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of public sacrifice. I can imagine that happening to Marva intercut with, uh, Cassian and Bix, you know, running to the this ship or the that ship and getting out just in time, maybe even because uh, attention is paid to Marva and not the space radar screen or something like that. Um, But again, something needs to get Cassian into the Rebel Alliance and not just a hired gun who, you know, maybe the higher ups will cap at the end. So Mon Mothma tells uh, Tay Colma, this banker here that she needs help from an old friend that uh, he's going to be the fourth person to know what only three people in the galaxy know. So obviously Mon Mothma, Luthen, who's the third? Is it Clea? Is Bail Organa in on this yet? Um, I think the question is meant to be asked. Um, I mean, do do we know she knows Clea is in on it? How about this way? I don't think she knows. I don't think she counts Clea as inside the tent at this point. I think that it's probably a better guess that uh, iconic actor Jimmy Smith will be revealed as the fourth person um, sometime in the remaining five episodes. Um, Pete, while I'm forecasting scenes, how about you know, there he is walking out of the shot. You know, uh, what is it that, that we have left after the revocation of my, my my Senate title or whatnot? And out of the shadows, he says, "What do we have? We have hope." Um, so it's it's got to be Bail Organa. It's got to be coming soon. Do you think Clovis the driver is really ISB, or is that just an assumption at this point? I think it's a very good assumption. And, you know, again, I'll repeat myself a bit from earlier. They they named him earlier so that we could, you know, a couple episodes ago, so that it could be proved to the audience that that, uh, Perrin is a big jerk that doesn't even know the name of the the help. Uh, And not just the the far-off help, the help that are driving her to, to the Senate and so forth. Okay. But we refer we return to it again, naming him, naming him. That's only adding prominence to the character. I suspect it's so that maybe we don't do anything with him for an episode or two, and then when it's you know blaster out or whatever, it'll be Clovis. You have betrayed me, or you know uh, somebody from the ISB says you know Clovis has been all you know always been working for us. That sort of name recognition there. Can somebody just love B2 EMO already? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, even down to 
the way he's stretching up, the way a dog will get on its hind legs and so <laughs> forth. And Cassian gives him a pat in between the non-existent ears. Like, I just look, want him on, to be happy. I mean, yes. we know everybody else is going to die. All right. If B2 is not someplace with like BB-8's grandfather at the end of all this, I'm I'm going to be really upset. I know, look, I mean, these are all equally fictional characters, so I could be a little, uh, I'm about to be a little hard-edged, but, you know, they're all fictional anyway. Pete, Marva is late in life and also ready to fight a personal rebellion. B2 just wants to have a warm charging station and nice pats behind the non-ears. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> Again, this might sound callous, but they're all fictional. I'm okay if Marva goes, you know, walking into the, the blaster fire um, with a smile on her face because in death she shall be free. I want B2 rocketing off with Andor and Bix by the end of this season. And if that's not the case, uh, A, I will be upset. And B, uh, B, it'll be a missed opportunity because I think that, you know, Hasbro could announce some sort of HasLabs $300 <laughs> B2 thing. Um, and it would get get funded in, you know, 15 minutes. My uh, animatronic Lola just arrived. So uh, they, one, turned that around quicker than they had announced. And two, I, I'm ready for the animatronic B2 EMO. Ord Mandel, Matt, that, of course... Uh, never glimpsed on a live action screen. It is a reference from The Empire Strikes Back where the bounty hunter they ran into between Star Wars A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back that the rebels coming after Han Solo before, of course, the bounty hunters catch up with him at the end of that film. Uh, so an interesting inclusion there wonder if we'll get to see it also a level from the iconic shadows of the empire video game that of 1996 you know when we made a movie between movies but instead made it a novel and a video game and there was even a soundtrack produced for those who might not believe what you are saying um in preparation for the prequel trilogy in order for Lucasfilm to remind itself how to market a thing and how to um, merchandise a thing. Um, and I would also say too, Pete, probably since George Lucas was self-funding to round up another, you know, $10 million so they can make uh, episode one. Um, yeah, they 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 took the central plot of it and then said, okay, there's not actually a movie, but can we do the novel? Yes. The comic book? Yes. Um, the figures? I think there were figures, right? There were. Uh, and you're absolutely right that a sound... So you're absolutely right. I just want to state this clearly for those who might not believe it. A soundtrack was written to capture the themes of the characters and the story and so forth, though it was not a soundtrack that actually was like... This is where they run out. So let's go to suggest Cloud City Heights. And this is where there's an explosion. We go da 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 da. Like it was just a soundtrack to a movie that did not exist. But Pete, what other theories do you have? How is Blevin going to come after Miro here? <sighs> it's a great question. And I kind of have a hard time believing 
that they would devolve into fisticuffs. They're two such intelligent people. And I know that there's kind of court intrigue, watch your back kind of stuff that's at the edges of the big round white room, but it being a forum for ideas, um, at least on the surface, it's such a delicious, it's such a delicious presentation. Um, I like to think it will be something like that. But again, that said, does that then just turn into, well, I can outdo your move by another procedural move. Like, so maybe it will turn into, something action oriented you know i have no problem if this episode had as i said before had no lightsabers or space battles or was there even a blaster fired on screen um maybe in the flat no not even in the flashback um that said this clearly is the outlier and you know maybe a space battle maybe a blaster battle uh, will unfold who you got matt keith Girgo or grief carga um Pete, I dug the room that Keith was in, and I don't mind the circumstances that brought him there. So I'm going to say Keith, not grief. What are Pizos, and would you get the greeny green ones? Um, Pete, I remember one of our first lengthy jaunts to New York Comic Con. You highlighted the need after we're, you know, you're walking around all day, you're sitting on concrete, and you're crushing some cliff bars here and there to keep your energy up the importance of some green veggies uh after you're kind of sitting and and relaxing there i think too uh, so too have keith and lady friend been uh at uh vigorous action of late so i'm going to think that the greeny greens are are vegetable based and they are healthy for them uh being the empire it's probably some sort of you know weirdo extruded chemical flavor <laughs> thing but i'm going to assume that they're trying to they're trying to eat healthy. That's healthy with an F, like Keef. Um, and uh, I got to wash that with some with some Revnog there. You know, look, Pete. They're clearly dressed to have a party, so why not have a little Revnog to to keep uh, keep the party fun? Interesting that Tay Colma's robes uh, look like Ralph McQuarrie's original designs for Obi Wan's, given that he's this white knight uh of the banking world within the story he's a bit of a white knight now that said star wars clearly has this tradition of uh particularly kind of the current generation that's looking back to uh to earlier stuff and mining earlier stuff and so forth um they're not strangers you know with saying well hey that might have been like a Jedi's robes back before George had even understood what a Jedi was. But in the current, hey, that Ralph Ricori picture in the current Star Wars uh, language, it, it looks like, you know, it looks like an Armani suit. So would that transfer to a to a banker and so forth? Um, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that kind of uh monastic slash asian influence to the way the uh the hoity-toities dress uh there in the and the flashy world of coruscant our rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions pete to twitter we go and uh the poll was 
uh, which episode choice would you make? Um, Pete, one choice was to stay and walk proudly. That with a smiling tear emoji. All right, that's Marva. 5.9%. Uh, say goodbye, kind of like Bix. 11.8%. Uh, Move the money. Shh, emoji, 11.8%. And then the top choice, which I know people have traditionally looked at the top one in our polls as like the number four spot. Snip the loose thread, got 70.6%. Just want to point out, that does mean that you would be okay with killing Andor. I, you know, again, I know that's kind of runs opposite in the way we do our polls, but that is what it said. Snip the loose thread. The loose thread is Andor. Some replies, Pete. First one, JT Adkins. JTA is me. I finally caught up with y'all, at least for Andor. Now stay with me as I review two shows I've loved in the past. Lost. How many ways can we torment Kate? Battlestar Galactica. How thoroughly can we assail everyone? Andor. How trapped and alone can we make Cassian? That said, this is intriguing and filled with moral dilemmas. Certainly new realms for Star Wars. Mixing up in the franchise is smart, and this is certainly smartly done and tense as tense can be. Also, I'm very intrigued where The Office, Empire Edition, is headed for a beleaguered <laughs> Cyril Karin. Uh, that guy needs a vacation, but one where you don't end up in Empire Prison like poor Cassian. Uh, love JT, uh, JT's comments there. And I would also like to say, Pete, somebody who's skillful with the YouTubes needs to just do the, do the office credit sequence, yes, I want to but see starring Cyril Karn. Dedra Miro looking over, we, we could do it in the ISB as well. You know, uh, the, the looks back and forth. Yeah. Make it, make it happen. We hear from Bob Keeley at R Keeley on Twitter. Well, I've really enjoyed the, the show since the first episode. The last two episodes have really clicked for me. The political intrigue was great, and it is fun to watch Andor become slowly more radicalized. Noel Gardner, that's at Noel Camille on Twitter, says, I am thoroughly enjoying this show. I like the three-episode story arcs. I love the spy espionage and corporate office tedium, but also the slow burn of setting up a rebellion. Playing both sides in an environment like the Empire is dangerous and showing Mon Mothma's dilemma is good. Next, Pete, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 says, damn, this story is good. What else needs to be said? The intersecting storylines, the extreme overreach of the Empire, the introduction of Imperial security droids, the Palpatine name drop. Everything is awesome and it looks like a time jump is in order. Uh, Diane Bodenberg at Diana Bodenberg says, uh, this episode was so, so good. Fiona Shaw gave me all the feels. I think we can agree with that. Uh, tweeter at law, uh, which is KCLYLE1 on Twitter says, can't decide if I like the slow burn or hate it. I think the pacing is some other stream, uh, the, the pacing maybe of some other streaming shows has me conditioned to expect a quicker pace, but I also like the level of detail, the character interaction and the buildup. Regardless, I'm enjoying it. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, Pete is Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. The acting and writing of the show continues to be top-notch. I will say it again. If I didn't know it was a Star Wars show, I wouldn't know it was a Star Wars show. Your thoughts on that, Pete? Again, you know, I, I think that they're not over the top you know, Darth Vader shows up every week. I mean, we went so many episodes before they'd mentioned the Emperor. Um, and even then we feel his presence, but 
it's it's balanced it's nuanced you know i i tease matt's tony gilroy who comes in to rescue star wars movies and shows in trouble in this particular corner with rogue one and andor um but he's made the right moves yeah yeah he really really has uh this is a remarkably amazing show Pete, what's going on over there on Apple Podcasts and its reviews? We have a trio, Matt, of new reviews here left graciously for us. The first comes from Disappointed in Bootant. Um, it is headlined, These Guys Give Great Podcast. Five stars, and it reads, Matt and Pete are a couple of entertaining, knowledgeable guys who really enjoy talking about Andor and other SW Star Wars titles. Check out all their pods, including modern Star Trek and all things MCU. Fantastic Geek is candy for your ears. Matt, did we just get a new tagline? Um, I think we just might have. That's pretty amazing. Candy for your ears. That's uh, that's wonderful. Thank you for those kind words. Very sweet there. Disappointed in Bootent. Uh, Jay Killen 9 uh, writes in uh, Diplomatic Mission, five stars, and it reads, Matt and Pete go deep undercover to bring us the intel. They are our only hope against the toxic Darth Bros. Find the download button and punch it, Chewy. Pete. Uh, James Killen, a.k.a. James the Sagacious on Twitter, proving his sagacity there with uh, wordplay and uh, some commentary into dark uh, corners of the Star Wars fandom. Uh, hopefully our our green Jedi lightsaber light uh, pushing away some of that darkness. Candy for your ears against the Darth Bros there, revising that tagline on the fly and then 041785, who uh, is Jackie Wolf, and I know this because of uh, our Patreon page, uh, writes in another great pod from Fantastic Geek, uh, five stars, and her review reads, Fantastic Geek covers all things Marvel, Star Wars, and Star Trek. And I listen to pretty much all of their podcasts. They follow a basic outline of an episode recap, analysis, theories, and sharing input from their listeners. They're interesting to listen to, always cover ideas that I hadn't considered, and I'll admit it's a thrill when they read my input on air. Highly recommend. Well, thank you, Jackie. Glad that we can give insight. Kind of things like, will Andor feature the return of James T. Kirk? I'm sure it'll happen, right? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, maybe not that one. Well, Pete, as you mentioned, Jackie Wolf and others support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, particularly as we have been in this uh, three shows a weekend mode, which is uh, wrapping up this weekend. Uh, but certainly we are, are honored, as always, to be listener supported. Yes, uh, you know, every time I log in and just see the support that people show us, it's 
yeah, it, it's I can't believe that people support us to this end, Matt. And, uh, you know, everything that we do made possible by those people that go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, all sorts of levels to contribute uh, at. But it just takes a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Uh, can't contribute. Be like those uh, couple of listeners there. Go to Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating in seconds. You don't even need to do anything other than hit the star button. Five would be great. One would be something. Uh, you know, vote your conscience. And then uh, you can leave us a review in a little bit longer. So with five episodes to go for this first season of Andor and Unlike on the Marvel Studios end, with a second season guaranteed, uh, plenty of prognosticating and theorizing ahead of us for Andor. So, Pete, how can people share those thoughts with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,777 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter, I was looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Looking ahead on the pop culture podcast feed, we will be talking Lower Decks episode 309 tomorrow. And then, Pete, we're just going to go to do the next Andor the following weekend. I don't think there's any uh halloween specials suddenly popping up there's no at least planned announcements from uh celebrities announcing a third movie in their sequel i don't think there's going to be any breaking news for anything in the world of pop culture i suppose time will tell. just you wait and if not we'll record a patreon exclusive matt so very true so with more star trek and star wars on the radar i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word everything says something <laughs>